Edelweiss ball. Okay, so I'm gonna put it cl close enough yeah, here so you I, can. I, I do you wanna this. do you wanna sit closer or I keep it to your thing yeah, so that yeah, just sit here. Okay, so let's start with. Um, we were talking about sort of your views on the market, right? Um, is there a Edelweiss view of the market in terms of how markets operate, whether they're efficient, not efficient, which has then led to a fundamental house view of how to add value? Okay, so within the asset management piece, I'll be talking only yeah, about the asset management. Only asset management, yes. Uh, we do factor-oriented investing. So we have a factor-oriented approach. Now, most of the factors that work over long term are risk factors. Alpha factors mm -hmm. are rare, few and priced. Mm -hmm. Very well priced. Uh, so in India at least we have been able to unearth alpha factors and that itself tells you that it's not really, really an efficient market. It's true even globally, I mean, even in the US markets there are sustainable alpha or sustainable outperformance periods of 20 years with people which means there, there is uh, not the greatest efficiency you would expect. Hmm. Uh, in the short terms, markets can be efficient. Over the longer run, a lot of factors have a serious edge over the market. So, okay. I, I wouldn't. Uh, so, what sort of factors are these? Like quality. Since that uh, crash in 1987, if you look at it, all the quality factor stocks, which is a Coke, IBM, companies with more. Warren Buffett likes to call them, but they're generally good quality, high corporate governance companies. They have provided returns far exceeding the benchmark indices or whatever we are talking about. And even a reasonable rate of return kind of a requirement if you have one. And even if you look at the last 5-6 years, there are a lot of companies which have almost doubled or tripled through 2008 to 2013 in India. These are pharmaceutical companies which have good quality corporate governance. Okay, so what are the factors that you have identified on which you build your process? So we, we work on a three-prong framework. One is quality, which is the dominant factor. Mm -hmm. If you're not a part of the quality universe, you're not in consideration set. Second is valuations, which is a value factor, which is the cushion basically. At what price do you buy? So it becomes quality at reasonable price. And third is a safety factor. So we do not prefer high beta companies in general. Mm -hmm. So price is a good metric to figure out whether something is high beta and is there some operator activity or too much interest in the stock and we prefer to avoid them. So we prefer stocks with lesser interest, more stable price movements and that's the safety feature of the stock. So quality, value and safety is what we look for most. Okay. So then um, the thing is that quality means different things to different people, Correct. right? So Correct. now let's talk through how you measure each of these things. Okay. Um, for and what's your research process? Yeah, so basically when I say quality one, I, I want to see sustainable earnings in the company. Two, I want high corporate governance, which means you should have at least a decade behind you of no corporate issues. No adjustments, below the line adjustments, too many notes where you raise capital and put it in off balance sheet items. We don't want to see that. Mm -hmm. So we do it quantitatively. That's how we check it. Uh, how are you going to check footnotes on a quant basis? So, there are agglomerators who do this for us. They they are able to help us with the data part of it. Mm -hmm. So, there are uh, uh, agglomerators like others who are able to highlight what, what was in the footnotes. 
once it's on a page it's a read by an analyst so it's not con con but the agglomeration is done by an data provider okay okay uh so these two so 10 years of no, no corporate issues, issues okay i mean of the negative kind okay uh, and high sustainable earnings growth that a growth irrespective of the cycle should be sustainable i don't mean uh you should be like cyclicals in general will grow only in a positive part of the cycle will take a beating on the margins will take a beating on the profit growth etc in the down cycle part that doesn't mean they are excluded but your 10 year rate and the volatility of that rate should be narrow is what we are looking at um and how do you measure it i mean so for example when you, is it an absolute target a number about so every so each company on a five year time scale you can look at a profit So are you looking at that, right? Yeah, yeah. you can look at a bad growth rate. You can look at a sales growth rate, and even a beta. What you want to see is how much is the volatility. Mm-hmm. And if you exclude cyclicality, so some sectors are obviously more cyclical. You have to exclude the cyclicality factor and see mm-hmm. how much is the volatility because of the company. Mm-hmm. If it's too high, you want to avoid that company. That's okay. how we look at it. Okay. Okay. So out of six thousand listed companies, how many of those would be meeting this criteria? Okay. <laughs> I'm just looking. At, is there a number? Like, for example, you say that the market should be growing at about fifteen percent uh, GDP plus inflation. So then, would you look at anything over people sustained growth of over fifteen okay. percent or twenty percent? So if I were looking at let's say a portfolio of twenty companies to invest a P kind of money over the longer term or a pipe money, uh, that could be my objective. But what we do here is we have a large cap fund which is a top hundred fund. So the Universe for the fund is already given. Okay, okay. What we need to do is a relative ranking instead. So, right. The hurdle rate basically is a percentile. Okay. So you take the top hundred companies and you compare their growth on sustainable basis. Or, okay, yeah, got yeah. it. Okay. So similarly, a mid cap has a universe of hundred one to three hundred listed companies with market capitalization ranking. Okay. Correct. Correct. So it's a, again a relative ranking we need to do. We don't need to do an absolute ranking. Okay. Correct. If I was doing a pipe thing, yes, we would be looking no, at so that. So stick to the fund that we no, are yeah, looking at. Okay, so remember, I don't know anything about your fund, so this is like a uh, okay. thing. Okay, so so you take this and you do the ranking. Okay, so that's the quality fund. Yeah. Then what else do you do? We look at valuation comfort. So, uh, see, there is one thing which you determine that okay, fifteen or an absolute number is good in terms of valuation. Fifteen P, twenty P, whatever forward, hindsight, price by three years. Average earnings and those are metrics which we use, but they are basically filters for us. We don't pay too much regard to it. What we look for is what the market is pricing and what vis-a-vis what the company can comfortably deliver. And if the market is pricing in too low a level of growth, then there's valuation comfort for us in it, and we can go ahead and do it. So a reasonable price metric is also again relative. Each stock price has some uh, growth embedded in it. There's a present. Well, that assumes that there is a normal valuation for that stock, right? So you assume, for ex- for example, if something is trading in a PE of twenty eight, yeah, um, you assume the normal is about say twenty. Okay. Then you work out. I'm 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 not even doing that. <laughs> I'm not going by multiples. I'm just simply doing the uh, PAT yield equation. Given a certain growth rate, okay, PAT into one plus growth mm. by R minus G, which is R is given by beta. Mm. Should determine my market cap. So okay. I know the beta of the stock for the last one year. I know everything that is there to know from data. Take the one year beta. Yeah, beta. Okay. Beta. Okay. And uh, we know the leverage, so we can take out beta equity, which is saying what is market expecting in this price. Okay. 
Okay. And we just see if the gap is too much compared to what the company has been able to do historically. Right. If it's a defensive company, the cyclicality doesn't matter. If it's a cyclical, yeah, we take some accounting thing into question. Mm-hmm. And if the gap is high, that's where our comfort is. So that becomes a reasonable price for us. Mm-hmm. If there's no gap, we don't invest. Even if it's a good quality stock, we'll wait for the gap to be large enough. Okay. Okay. So that is the valuation part of it. Right. Okay. And then? And safety. Safety is more or less uh, another proxy for beta. We, I mean, there are enough anomalies, but high beta is one of the most amazing anomalies. High beta companies underperform the indices, underperform markets, underperform PSH over longer periods of time. Okay. It's a very well-known quantity. So this is, sorry, this is, <coughs> this is in India? It's it's global. So, so if does, it, you've studied this over what period of time? Uh, in India for about 15-16 years, but uh, uh, there, there's a firm called AQR, Cliff Asnes. Cliff Asnes, yeah. So he's put out a lot of research and uh, some of his pieces, quality minus junk, betting against beta. But all those are on US stocks, are they? All oh, you, he's done testing on all markets anyway, but we do it on our market as well. Right. So the truth is, it, it has been true for 15 years in India. Mm-hmm. High beta stocks held over the long term. Okay, so then how do you do that? So you, you, you did the quality filter and yeah. then you did the valuation. Yeah. So quality filter is the universe of stocks you want to invest in, want which stays constant. Yes. Yeah. I mean, every quarterly <coughs> results, somebody can drop out. I know, but roughly it's, yeah, yeah? It stays, okay, because it, you have 10 year period. So out of 100 stocks in the top, in the, in the, in the. So we have, uh, okay, since a lot of stocks in India are very, very young, when we uh, designed this, we designed this for five years, but now we have incorporated metrics to figure out a stock on that basis even on a three-year results basis so all we need is three-year history to figure out if the stock can fit into our quality universe okay so out of 100 how many roughly do you have Uh, roughly around 160 would qualify 60 okay then the valuation comes in which obviously changes from day to day sort of basis and then and then you take out all the high beta stocks yes yes so a portfolio. Why not start with that? Why don't you just take out the high beta? Forget about. See, the funny part is, I start either way, I end up with the same portfolio. It, it's been a useless filter for okay. most of the times. Okay. Uh, we barely, if ever, have gone above portfolio beta of 0.85, and uh, even at stock level beta, except for private banks which keep coming in, the beta of stocks in the portfolio is usually the maximum I remember is 1.1, which is below median in India. So that's your stock selection filter. So now coming back to portfolio construction. So how do you, uh, how many, say out of 60 meet the quality filter and may, I don't know, 20, so how many invest, stocks do you so, aim to have in okay. the portfolio? We, we don't try to aim. Uh, what we end up having is a result. I mean, is an output kind of thing. It's okay. a bottom kind of thing. So uh, like my large cap fund, top 100 fund has a asset allocation criteria that 80% would be from the top 100 companies. Mm-hmm. And 20% from the next 100 companies is how we do it. Uh, so for 80%, we end up getting around 40 stocks. And for the remaining 20%, we add another 20 stocks. Okay. So you will have around somewhere between 50 <coughs> to 60 stocks in the portfolio, okay. which means the stock concentration risks, etc. are very low. The top 10 stocks usually account for less than 30% of the portfolio. I was going to say, how do you weight the stocks? Are they relative to the benchmark? Uh, not really. So... As I said, within quality, there is somebody who's coming on the basis of a three-year track record, somebody who's got three and five-year both track records, so its weighting would be higher. Okay. okay. The higher the... So, the longer the quality, so the higher the quality rating, yeah, the, the higher more the, the stock. It is not related to market cap? Uh, no, not really. Like, for example, uh, 
we would not have an NT SBI or Reliance ever more than two percent. I think almost going back five six years, LNT would have come a couple of times at three percent. Reliance has a market cap which ascribes it a weightage in the index of around seven to eight percent. You never had it. Same for Infosys. Why? They just don't manage to pass the quality filter. Reliance, I can understand. Why not Infosys? Uh growth as sustainable growth is a substantial part of the quality filter. Right. Like quality is true, but if Coke wasn't growing, Warren Buffett won't be in it. Right? So mm-hmm. when I say quality, I'm implicitly <coughs> saying quality growth. Yeah, of course, Coke. Yeah. Uh, and LNT. Uh, as I said, cyclicals they cross the valuation barrier very fast, very quickly. So LNT did make it into the portfolio in Feb, but by April 10th it was out because of the valuation mismatch. Okay. So you have 50 to 60 stocks, um, and the weighted weighted weights are uh, more related to correlated to how good they are on the quality, how they are on the quality as opposed to the market cap. Okay, and then you talked about portfolio beta as well. Like, what are, again? Is there an aim, or is it an output, or is it? An it's input? it's an output, but uh, what we uh, so when you we were devising all these strategies, what we figured out is uh, most of the good mutual funds in India actually run a beta close to between 0.8 to 0.9 so our process ended up being closer to that so that was the good part but since we do it the quantitative way we also like to know what our size loading is and by size i mean how many smaller than the peer set we have mm-hmm. how many smaller companies outside the top 100 we have and uh, what is our momentum loading because uh, momentum is a factor which gets whipsawed mm-hmm. very often in markets mm-hmm. uh, so we check all those anomalies and, uh, you check them, but what do you do about them? Okay, within a range, we are comfortable with them. We, we really don't tinker. Only outside the range we tinker. So, for example, if a large cap portfolio has a size loading of greater than 40%, now it's computed quite mathematically and irritatingly. But if it's more than 40%, what we do is we remove a part of the portfolio, squeeze it, and put the Nifty index features into it. Oh, okay, that's so, we'll just take the size loading down. We'll reduce the size of the bet we are making. Why bother comparing yourself to the peer set? What we have done is we have taken the best possible peer set over the last 10 years and seen what they have been doing uh, and they don't do quant. So what they have been doing by design. So it gives us a good path line within which to drive our car. And it, and it's more like... And who, who do you consider good quality? Uh, so we set these metrics in uh, 2009, basically when we started with the funds. Uh, so for us in the large cap space, it was at that point in time HDFC, DSP, uh, ICICI approved. Uh, we have rehashed these in again 2012 and checked with a lot of other peers, which is Birla, Excess, and BNP Paribas. And we came to the same conclusion surprisingly. Okay, so we added these three to the other first three. Okay, yeah. we've taken out DSP out of it. Why are DSP is no going through a very, very bad patch, and they are also quasi quant since we know that. Mm. So it's it's very surprising because for a fact we know BNP is quant. Uh, the portfolio turnover ratios tell you a lot about it. Uh, you don't you have uh, other research um, published on on these anywhere? Uh, nobody says they're quant because there is some kind of stigma associated with quant when you go to market. So okay, so that leads me to I guess the first question I should have asked: What made Edelweiss go to quant? Like why quant? Okay. Um, I come from a consulting background and um, really? my boss. What consulting? Strategic decision group, SDG US. Okay. The Stanford University okay. Research Institute group. Right. 
so decision making if it's in a risk world risks can be mapped and taken mitigated mm-hmm. if it's an uncertain world then the paradigm you follow has to be slightly different then you can't be absolutely sure of anything mm-hmm. you can work with pools but on a single stock you can't predict anything mm-hmm. so predicting a single stock how it will do is in our opinion a very hard game is a box mm-hmm. game almost mm-hmm. so the noise is too high for the signal but if i look at a factor that valuation cheap cheaply valued stocks are going to do better i have a little bit more confidence in the mm-hmm. in that bet so no but so is it um i mean obviously the good peers big amcs have a qualitative process there must be some value is oh, it, okay. is it, is it okay. a trade off between between uh, we started with the four people team, team. No, we huh, is it, is it, four people team. research team issue so we also do qualitative now but it's a add on to what we do right. quantitatively so we just so for example corporate governance i mean you have to take care of hair say you have to know about market rumors you have to know much more than just you know mm-hmm. what a stock puts out mm-hmm. so a stock like suzlon will come in the portfolio but Mm. you have to throw it out again because of corporate governance issues so you kind of do do a little bit of qualitative but on top overlay. on top of it on top okay so it's a but i'm question my, my, my question is this is it a function of your team size or is it a um on purpose bet that 80% of the value add comes from these factors anyway so why maintain a research okay. team um, if you so had all the money <laughs> in the world right now would you hire more researchers uh so I I'll answer your question in two parts. First mm-hmm. part when we started off we didn't have all the money in the source so we had to find out an answer with a 3% team. So I mm-hmm. think it was easy to go the quant way <coughs> with literature with it being out of style and the fact the back testing numbers we were getting were good enough mm-hmm. for us to be a top quota team. Mm-hmm. Uh now at this juncture we are already uh, looking at how we can do what they do, okay? Mm-hmm. But again we are thinking quantitatively even though we can hire a team much bigger in size right now and mm-hmm. within the in-house research capabilities which we can access Hmm. we can do it their way we are because of the way our decision making processes and stock market is an uncertain world and which is something we're fairly fairly confident predicting a single stock is is a very bad idea in our opinion hmm. so we are trying to do what they do in terms of deep value long term investing but still going the quant way and given that there are enough uh, funds overseas which have done that successfully for now more than a decade hmm. gives us confidence that this way also works But there may be an argument on why uh, it works in the US or Australia or other developed markets, but not in India, is because of quality of data, right? You could say, you could argue, yeah. and I have an ex-husband who used to be an auditor in India, and used to say there's no way he would trust an Indian set of accounts. Oh, so then Duka, there is, there is a lot of issue, but my point is, what are those guys working with? They are adjusting everything for me. Yeah, so we are we are cleaning, scrubbing the data on our end. So our database is well done, but no, no, but if, if case, it's a printed number. Hmm. All of them held Satyam and Satyam went belly up, right? Fraud is a different thing. Clean data within the top three hundred corporates in India is is fairly yeah. easy because SEBI makes sure it comes out. Okay. As long yeah. as you don't work with balance sheet items in India, hmm. which are released only once a year and have a lot of footnotes, hmm. you can work with reasonably quarterly frequency quant stuff. Okay. It's all related to P and L. So there you don't have a problem. Does um does the Indian um move to XBRN? um has that been good for the market as a cleaner so i believe um so i believe in the indian uh, filing of, of of financial statements yeah is on xbrl 
ranking we don't react it doesn't matter we don't really really react the day results come out right. under unless it's a exceptionally outlier so a hindu liver doing a 10% or anfi doing a 10% those are exceptional outliers but otherwise we we don't react right because what we have picked up a bad result is actually good for us because on an average because mm-hmm. those companies catch up okay um before i got distracted on quant um we were on risk on portfolio construction and risk um what what else what else do you do to manage risk in the portfolio like so when you through this give me a shot sure so we check beta loadings for size for momentum for valuations and for market beta on top of that we see the division from sector weights with the with regards to the benchmark okay so the only thing but what do you need to see it's within a limited range hmm. nothing so what what are the ranges uh so for sectors we have plus minus 7 and a half percent absolutely the benchmark yeah absolutely, absolutely. So sector rate is 30% it's 37 37 and a half we will scale it down 20. yeah, yeah. Okay. otherwise okay. we won't uh, do much about it. okay okay um so all of this put together what sort of um alpha are you targeting Uh, we get the four to six percent post our costs and the index post our management fees and everything over the longer term. Okay. That's with wall off. That's less with the wall close to eighty five percent of the index. Same as beta. So if your beta is eighty five percent, your wall will be. Or the index. Yeah. Ah, uh, so most of the peers said anyway did better than this prior to two thousand seven. Post two thousand seven, I think four to six has become more or less a very good alpha over the longer term. But that's in the large cap space. When you go to the mid cap space, people are able to deliver in India close to eight to eleven, uh-huh. and the top quartile is seriously high. So there we are a little struggling with our methodology. So we are able to get somewhere around eight nine percent consistently post cost and trading cost and all that interaction mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. Working there. So do you actually? I mean, this is not probably your. This is probably Vikas's thing. But given that you have a smaller team and you're doing more quant, um, do you also have lower fees? see the fees is commercial as i said so yeah so, so I, i mean we can uh, no what i'm saying is is it so is it uh, is it smart beta if you it's, think it's, about all the concept yeah it's okay so if if i think about what smart beta is we use a lot of them but what we have done just on top of it is make it adaptive by putting that dynamic price into the equation smart beta Mm-hmm. a quality factor won't have a reasonable price argument with it or valuation mm-hmm. would always be buying the cheap basket without checking for growth coming back up mm-hmm. so we what we have done is just uh, made an adaptive beta basket mm-hmm. but yes it's a combination of three four smart beta factors mm-hmm. nothing nothing that way so i guess um, so again this is in the panel discussion i was discussing it as like what what was considered alpha has now been discovered as basically smart beta right so the, there is some kind of personal Uh, whether uh, it's quality or it cannot be mirrored by high beta, low beta in the capm because capm is insufficient. Markets are not efficient according to whatever equation mm. you're using. But there, there's a risk, and you're getting paid for that risk. So it's it's all beta. 
True, but the thing is that until now, the assumption was that we need a big team and qualitative research to be able to access that. Value, it depends right? on quality of data. Right. So, right. Say, so if you have proven that quant can do it just fine, a little bit of adjustment, then technically, what are they charging such high fees for, right? So in the US, hedge funds do charge that part, but if you look at Indian fund money industry, what you're charging is 2.5% of assets. Hmm. It's, it's almost a pretense, right? For this whole team structure to work, a 50 people organization which Edelweiss Mutual Fund is, mm-hmm. uh, your costs x everything would be close to 5-6 crores. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, to make sense of it, you need to have 200 crores worth of assets just to operationally break even. Mm-hmm. And then there are advertising costs, the ability to reach to distributors and the payouts and the middlemen. Sure. So, I'm saying in terms of where Indian mutual fund industry pays, the mutual funds don't make money, the middlemen do. Hmm. But in the US, yes, I, I think we have a serious problem because since 2007, none of the hedge funds have beaten the middle hmm. Okay, so uh, you've been uh, here how long? Seven years. Seven years, hmm. since the inception of the AMC? Uh, no, I was in a, I was with the hedge fund. Edelweiss was uh, the sponsor as well as the manager of uh, India Diversified Fund, which was a uh, best India arbitrage fund. We used to do quant, we started quant then. When was that marketed? Not in the uh, so it wasn't uh, done here, it was uh, okay. It was marketed only to offshore clients and the four clients in the fund went bankrupt. Even though we were up like 9% in 2008, positive 9% in 2008 in a hedge fund. And it was Galleon, Lehman, Shua and Fairfax. Your investors? Yeah, Galleon, Singapore, okay. Lehman, US, Shua, okay. Dubai and Fairfax, we okay. all four are bankrupt. Or whatever. Right. Great times. Okay, so you've um, no. So coming back to the reason I'm asking this is, how much of ABY's process is you, and how much is now institutionalized? Okay. Uh, so there is. Okay. And how much do you have to keep tweaking the process? Institution. Okay, I'll answer the second and then later. But the institutional sales piece is a proper sell side research piece. No, no, I'm talking about. Okay, so if you were something to happen to you tomorrow, if, okay, so it's so institutionalized, it's fairly institutionalized in okay. the system here. But you came up with the process. It's it's all you read, you change, you tweak, you tweak. You do, okay, but okay. It's a, it's a five people team. So if the team leaves, yes, the process is is in your Okay, but if you leave, you think your I team don't will be able to pick so. up? Because see, I started with Piyush, me and Dilip. One year back, about April, Piyush left for Ocean Dial, which is a hedge fund, and Dilip left for MSCI. Dilip has come back into a different team here in the organization, but you're just one person in the legacy team. So mm-hmm. I think the team has internalized what we do. So that part is not the hard part. Uh, as long as the whole team doesn't go in one shot, I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, in terms of tweaking, uh, what we do is we keep looking for alpha factors because India has them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of risk factors, not really because you're just going to check your loading and you're driving within the lanes. What about forefront? I mean, I know interestingly, I mean, those people are ex AQR, right? Yeah. Radhika and, Radhika and, and uh, Nalan. Nalan, right? So, how similar is your processes? It, it was a little shock because I'll tell you what. We met in 2010 over uh, when they started off, Piyush and I, and we just met as like a couple of corns on the street and trying to do something different, okay? So we didn't discuss process at all, we just discussed ideologies. Uh, three years later when we acquired them and we discussed the processes in detail and we are like, 
might be shocked to find out that we do exactly roughly the same thing and we depend on the same sort of papers we basically apply the same approach so it makes sense to acquire them but after you acquire no 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 <laughs> i didn't knew all this before we acquired and this is the funniest part because right all this happened and uh, only the top level uh, very senior management was dealing with it it was all hashers go mm. only get to see their numbers and once i saw their numbers and i realized okay the quotations are very high. okay so interesting is if you if their process and ideology was similar how different was the result very Again, back to the exactly. problem one, right? Yeah, Which yeah, is what yeah, I started yeah, with. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Data. What do you mean? How do you clean it? See, okay, if I were to put a simple four by four matrix, there's data and how you manipulate it, information, mm. right? Mm. Now the data we work with is publicly available data. I don't have any kind of special insights into data. My research analyst doesn't go and meet the company. Mm. So on the data side, neither me nor Forefront have an edge. Mm. The only edge we have in how we manipulate or work with that data, right? Mm. So, I think everybody's process is that is where the process appeals. Right? That's what I'm trying to get to. So, yeah. why was your result different to theirs? So, everybody defines was, quality who was, like who was. Uh, quality so it was a very broad definition you gave me, which is why I started. Well, how the hell you define it, man? No, so exactly, all of us will define quality in a different fashion with our experiences. So, obviously, there's insight that goes into building the process. That's a team insight that goes, and that depends on the team you put in. The more diverse, the better it is. I so, think. who was better performing in the last two three years? See, uh, we are better, but this I think it's it's a little bit like in the sand. We just three year track records to compare with each other. And they have they had three years. Yeah, just a three years. So, if even yes, you so I'm curious. So, so, I'm curious now. So, given that both of you were quant. Um, No, so I'll see. tell you what. Uh, what was the difference? Nalan's promise to his clients is more like things that can't give a drawdown. Okay, so then it was his risk management that was different. So he he is doing a very very um, what should I say intensive risk management process without going into hedging at all. Whereas for us, which is a comparable product, we go into hedging. So in a negative year, even though he was minus eleven, we were minus two, but most of it was saved by the hedge. What did, 2011. I didn't get the hedge part. Where did you do the hedging? Uh, so, the, he his uh, flagship is a forefront India dynamic value product, mm. and we have something called absolute return fund. Mm. Uh, now, what we do with absolute return fund is try to capture at least sixty percent of the upside in a positive mm. index period and uh, less than one fifth the downside. Is this the same large cap fund we're talking about? No, no. Okay, it's, it's, it's okay. A, hang on, also you don't mix it too. In the large cap fund, you yeah. don't do any hedging, right? You don't do any hedging. I was going to ask you just on the portfolio construction. Any cash calls? No. You no. fully invested at all. Fully invested at all. Okay. So now, anything else you want to add on the on the on the whatever? No, so what's the name? What are the what's edge top hundred? Edge top hundred. Okay. Now coming back to what is this fund that you're talking about? Absolute return fund. What is that? Uh, so the idea of this product is it's exactly what we're doing in the hedge fund. We're trying to give absolute positive returns irrespective right. of what what the market does. Right now, mutual fund uh, regulations in India says that sixty five percent has to be kept in cash equity. Right, and we found out the market appetite for a lower risk product wasn't there. So what we decided was good enough was sixty percent upside participation in a positive period and less than one fifth downside participation in a negative period. Right. And this compounds beautifully if you look at it over time. If you do this over time with the index, okay. Uh, so we have a product which does exactly this in uh, calendar years. If you look at it, or any rolling twelve-month periods, if you look at it, right. And it is a genuine, as close to an alternate product you can get in Indian markets within the mutual fund framework. At very little fees. Okay. So when the markets are down twenty-five percent, this product is down only two and a half percent. Okay. Okay. And how do you manage that? You just 
So we have a seventy percent invested in cash equities. Thirty percent is usually parked in fixed deposits or cash futures arbitrage, which are risk-free investments, or goes for IPOs, mergers, special situation kind of corporate action units. Mm-hmm. And uh, this seventy percent, which is invested in cash, we hedge it dynamically. The markets are petering one way. That's a top-down call. Yeah, that's a technical factor call. We don't take that call. It's it's again algorithm driven. Interesting. That fund has been going three years. That fund has completed five years. We've been looking at five, it for four three, years. Four years. Okay. I remember Andrew mentioning it to me a year ago when I first attended. Okay, fine. Um, so, what would anyone have to do to keep you here? I mean, it's it's a little weird because the. F- do you have a green business? No, I okay. I'm saying in terms of the business, uh, see, they they have to be challenging work is the problem. And mm-hmm. with regards to that, I, I don't think Edelweiss can do much um, because it's it's SEBI which re- right now is dictating what you can do and what you can't do and what mm-hmm. frameworks to work with. Like for example, the AI framework is where you can launch a hedge fund and go leverage and all that. But the taxation on top of it is thirty percent leverage is limited to two x, which means. I can pretty much replicate those returns in a mutual fund taking external leverage. Mm-hmm. So I take one hundred fifteen percent exposure to a mutual fund, which I play long shot with. I I I can manage similar returns, which is quite surprising because mutual funds are amazingly tax efficient. I can do a hell lot of trading inside the vehicle, but the vehicle gets taxed only if you withdraw it within less than a year. Mm. You hold it more than a year, there is no taxation. Mm. So. I'm saying mm-hmm. it's, it's it's more a framework problem, so not a. Okay, so. Interesting work in the industry. Anyway, financial intermediation, I think, has own value. So I was going to say, so what would what would make keep you interested? I mean, so all the, what you whatever you've mentioned, mutual fund versus AI, etc. There's nothing you could do about it, right? Yeah. So what could you do? Anything else? It's if it's in finance, it's this only. Yeah. It's this. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add on the philosophy, process, risk, portfolio construction? What do they have to do to keep keep the edge? I mean, I'm assuming over time factors value dissipates. So, okay, in terms of research, we we keep trying a lot of alpha factors. It's like based on a priori hypothesis that if this is happening, this company should do well in the future, which people should discover later and price mm-hmm. should move up. Mm-hmm. So we keep coming up with, I think, on an average. Ten ideas a year, mm. out of which two yield us good, reasonable alpha factors. Mm. These alpha factors work for us for about two years on average, and then they start fading out. They become normal risk factor or mm-hmm. alpha degrades completely. Mm. I think that process uh, it depends on data again. So once we get start getting balance sheet data on a higher frequency, you can work on more ideas. So maybe you'll work on twenty more ideas, and you'll get four of them. Mm. They last you another two years, and so on and so forth. So it depends on how you manipulate the data. And if yeah. more data is available going forward, which is highly likely, right. uh, I think you can keep the search for quite a bit longer. Right. Uh, why are there no more quant funds in India? Do you think? I think because see the established hegemony is such that uh, top ten guys are eighty percent, or top five guys are sixty percent of the AM. Uh, whatever you do, you do in a small niche in a corner. It's a distribution problem. 
whatever i'm saying the middlemen make more right so i'm saying the industry structure is skewed and it's going to stay skewed to see whatever regulatory powers we have so that's that's we that's that's our finances Okay. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> you wanted to say something. I I will. I'm just turning it off for some. No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you.